0: Well, good morning, Village. Um, We are well into uh, quarantine and lockdown now. I think this is maybe six weeks uh, in. And so, uh, how are you doing? That's a question uh, we ask each other a lot, isn't it? Um, Over Zoom or FaceTime or maybe your neighbors uh, in this kind of time of of, uh, pandemic, we often check in and, hey, how are you doing? And um, I don't know about you, but I find that kind of a hard question to, to answer. Because if we mean how are we doing, well, I'm doing okay, right? I have a house. Uh, I still have my family. Um, most of us still are in good health. Um, I have food on the table. Uh, I'm doing okay. But I wonder how you would answer the question if someone said, how are you feeling? Because sometimes how we feel uh, and how, we, how we're actually doing are very different things. And so um, a lot of times we've been thinking about over the course of the last few weeks, um, how we're how we're feeling how, how, how are we doing on the inside really not how, how we're doing as far as um, you know uh, our, our jobs or our homes but but how are we doing emotionally how are we doing in our inner person and uh, we've started this series a few weeks ago really after looking at the hope of the resurrection uh, moving into how do we live by the spirit in an age of crisis and uh, we looked at, Uh, Week one on how to have peace in a time of anxiety. Last week, love in a time of isolation. And this week, I want us to think about how do we have joy in a time of despair or certainly when we're tempted to despair. Um, And to begin with that, I thought we'd just uh, start off with how do we define joy? Because how would the scriptures define joy? Uh, how the Christian defines joy is different than how I think our world defines joy. John Piper, I think gives a pretty good uh, definition of it. I think he says this, he says, Christian joy is a good feeling or a good emotion of the soul um, produced by the Holy spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Let me just repeat that for us. It's important. Joy is a, as a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word in the scripture and in the world. Um, and that's important, isn't it? It's uh, it's interesting because emotions are something that we don't really choose our emotions. Emotions just kind of rise up within us. If you're in a dangerous situation, you don't tend to evaluate that and go, OK, now how should I feel about this? I think I'll choose uh, fear. No, we, we recognize danger and fear wells up within us or we get bad news and, and sadness uh, overcomes us or Uh, We experience loss and grief uh, overwhelms us at times. Uh, Emotions kind of come uh, upon us. They're they're not something that we cognitively kind of choose. And in some ways, uh, Christian joy is the same. It's produced by something other than ourselves, but it's produced by the Holy Spirit. And it's produced by the Spirit as he causes us to look to Christ, as he causes us to gaze on the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Um, so this kind of joy isn't a, a naive kind of joy. It's not a, a joy that is, I think how the world might define joy is more like happiness. Um, happiness is much more connected to our circumstances, how we're, how we're doing or how we're feeling. Joy is something that's much more deeper than that. Um, even Jesus, when he's speaking to his disciples in our teaching text, he's on the cusp of the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the Last Supper uh, and his crucifixion. And yet he gives them a command uh, and a a pathway to experiencing joy. So let's read uh, again our teaching text this morning. He says, this is John 15, uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I wonder this morning if that's not a word for us. If we, um, even though we are, are, are branches that are connected to the vine of Christ, if this isn't a season of pru- pruning, if the Lord isn't cutting away some things um, that we're used to having in our life, um, so much of our life has been slowed down, has been stopped. Our, our calendars are, are, are empty for the foreseeable future. I wonder if the Lord isn't pruning to make us more fruitful during this time. And we should be uh, attentive to that. We should be paying attention to what the Lord might be doing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And this is important then in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, why? So, Jesus, why have you spoken these things to us? Why have you reminded us that you are the vine, that we are branches, that we must be connected to you to bear fruit, uh, that, that sometimes you prune us to bear much fruit, that if we will abide in you, we receive the same love from the Father. Uh, the same love in Christ that you have received from the Father as you have obeyed the the commands of the Father and abide in his love. So we follow you in that. As we uh, uh, follow your commands, we abide in your love. Why have you told us all of this? In verse 11, I've told you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If we want fullness of joy, and not just our joy, but the love, the, the, the joy of Christ in us, This is the pathway to that. I want us to think about this this morning because this kind of a joy is is a joy that's based on a foundation that doesn't change no matter what our circumstances is. is, Again, this isn't a a naive kind of joy. In John, um, in the very next chapter, in John 16, uh, Jesus is preparing his disciples again for his departure. And he's talking about um, leaving, um, him being crucified. They don't quite understand Uh, what that means and, and he's trying to explain it to them and in verse 20 John 16 he says truly truly I say to you you will weep and you will lament he says you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy and he gives the example of a woman being sorrowful at the time of birth knowing that she's getting ready to experience pain and anguish But that in the end produces joy because they actually have a child um, to show for that. In verse 22, he says, So you also will have sorrow for now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Imagine, I don't know about you, but uh, having a joy that can't be taken away. Um, A lot of things have been taken away from us. Um, Some of us, uh, jobs have been taken away, at least temporarily as people have been furloughed. Our relationships have been taken away. Um, The way that we're able to interact with each other has been taken away. Some of the things that we enjoy taken away, your future plans, holidays, whatever it may be, has been uh, taken away. Things out of your calendar have been taken away. Jesus says there's a joy that you can have that can never be taken away from you. Um, And we see the evidence of that in the scripture, don't we? We see Paul, the the other disciples, the apostles who are beaten. Um, they're, They're beaten so bad that they're left for dead at times. They're imprisoned. And yet in the midst of that, they're singing psalms. Um, they're, they're singing hymns. They're rejoicing, um, uh, counting the cost of, of even their trials and in their trials still producing joy in their life. Um, and this is the joy that Jesus says that we can have. And so I want us to think about this morning. How do we have that kind of unshakable joy? Um, Peter, who was a recipient of this message from Jesus um, in his letter in chapter three, uh, he, he, he talks about joy like this. He says, though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. A joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Um, I don't know about you, but I think our world needs that kind of joy right now. I know I need that kind of joy in my life um, right now. Um, And so let's look at this um, more. The overwhelming theme of, of the passage that we just read the key for us to access the kind of joy that Jesus offers us um, is found in the word that appears 10 times in six verses. The command that he gives to his disciples over and over again to abide, to abide, to dwell, to live with uh, this sense of ongoing abiding and communion with with God himself, with Jesus himself. Um, And the psalmist knew this, even before Christ came, um, the psalmist, David, he writes this in Psalm 16. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. Um, so his, his thoughts are continually on the Lord. He says, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Again, so much of our world has been shaken. So much of it is just uh, feels like a, a, an earthquake and so much of things have fallen away. But he says, I will set the Lord before me because at his right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the place of the dead or let my holy one or let your holy one see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist knew that if he was going to find the fullness of joy, that it was going to be in the presence of the Lord. Um, this is even Nehemiah who reminds, uh, his people, he says, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. What will strengthen you during trials? What will strengthen your heart and soul during trouble is the joy of the Lord. And that's uh, counterproductive or it's counterintuitive to us because we think it's not in times of sorrow and trial that we are joyful. Um, we think of our most joyous times as probably the birth of our child, or the promotion that we got, or the new house, or the times that we think uh, are of experiencing the happiest emotions. And yet, the scripture talks about joy that can occur certainly in those times, but also in the midst of deep sorrow, in the midst of lament. And there is much to lament about um, in our world at the moment. And yet, Jesus says, there's a joy that you can have in the midst of that that can't be taken away from you. Jesus had to experience this too. Um, Hebrews 12 tells us that it was, it was because of the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. And that joy was to bring many sons and daughters to glory with him as he sits at the right hand of the father. He knew that his joy would be filled as he re, uh, reunited with his father. And he sat at the right hand of the father after the resurrection and the ascension. This is the same joy that we have. Notice the joy that Christ gives us in John 15 is his joy, that my joy might be in you, he says, and that your joy might be complete, that it might be full. And how we do this over and over and over again, as he says in that chapter, the key to that is by abiding. So this is what I want to do the rest of our time. What does that actually mean? What does it mean to abide With Jesus, what is that? How do we actually enter into that? Now, there's probably more than we can say about abiding than we than we will have time for this morning. So, I want to look at the aspect of us that that really brings us into joy. What does that mean? And it's going to be probably two pronged. In some ways, we're going to look at one thing today, but we're going to look at different aspects of it. But it really starts off with us um, looking to God, as the psalmist says, having the Lord before us. That means praising him. It means thinking about on who he is, the very character and nature of God, his all loving nature, his all powerful and sovereign nature, his mercy and his grace extended to us. This is uh, our, our thoughts that are Godward in nature. It, it stirs wonder in us. It's, 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 uh, it stirs awe within us. Um, this nature of praising God for who he is is really what that centers on. And then uh, you think of it as a cycle that comes back to us then as we begin to think and give thanks for what he has done for us. So we praise him for who he is and we give him thanks for what he has done, his activity in our life, the peace, the joy that he gives us. Namely, all of that secured through um, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, his death and his resurrection being at the center of all of those things. When you read through the Psalms, the Psalms uh, are this a a lot of times. It's worship and then remembering. It's giving thanks, it's remembering who God is, remembering what he's done, and then giving thanks um, for those things. I've been thinking a little bit uh, about joy, um, and sometimes how we define uh, the opposite of something helps us define what it is. And so I was thinking, what's the opposite of joy? And initially, you think the opposite of joy might be sadness. Um, But I I don't think that's true. As we look to the scriptures, I think sadness is probably the opposite of happiness. But it seems to me that the opposite of joy in the scriptures is discontentment. We become discontent and it robs us of our joy. Um, Thanksgiving becomes elusive when our heart becomes hard to who God is Uh, When we begin to become angry because he's not doing what we want him to do or thinking uh, he should act in the way that he should act rather than giving thanks for what he has done for us. I think the opposite of joy from the scriptures is discontentment. Um, And when you think about it, it makes sense. Advertisers spend billions to make you discontent. To sow seeds of discontentment into you so that you'll try to find that contentment. You'll try to find the solution to that discontentment, that joy in whatever it is they're selling you. The latest product, their product, as, as, as opposed to their competitor, whatever that may be. Um, you think of it about like a, an iPhone with Apple, of which I'm recording this sermon uh, at the moment. Every two years or so, they have it wired into their software to make their phones perform suboptimal so that you get discontent with it and you want the new new iPhone. The battery doesn't last as long. And that's not a hardware issue. They've hardwired it in into the software to make it actually perform less to create discontent within you so that you'll spend more money and buy the next phone. Discontentment robs us of joy. And we think about that even in, in our marriage. Um, We become discontent in our marriage and we start to look to that next iPhone in our marriage. We look to that other woman, that other man who might provide us what we're discontent within our own marriage or in friendships or relationships. Might even be, you know, things like a car. That new car is amazing when you have it, but that contentment doesn't last very long. It gets worn out. It gets dirty. And then you start to notice all the cars that are nicer than yours. And This is how life works. Happiness is fleeting. It's, it's temporary. It's connected to our circumstances. That's why you're happy when your, your sports team wins and when they lose, you're kind of bummed out and sad about it. Your happiness ebbs and flows with the success of the circumstances of the team. Our happiness is connected to how we feel. And so we can feel happy, we can feel sad. It kind of comes and goes. But joy, biblical joy is something much deeper. It's not connected to our circumstances. It's connected to our de- our identity. Our identity rooted in, in the identity of Christ Himself, who He is and what He has done for us. Those things, uh, those circumstances never change. And so our, our, our joy is rooted, it's anchored in an unshakable foundation. Joy is sustainable. It's it's a it's abiding. It's connected to often our ability then to recognize who God is and to recognize what he has done. It's to our, our ability to access joy is directly connected to Thanksgiving. It's directly connected to gratitude. We can grow in joy even in the midst of sorrow and even in the midst of uncertainty. And so let's look at that a little bit further. What are three ways we can kind of uh, grow in joy? Again, these are probably the same thing, but like a diamond looking at different facets of it, we notice different things. And so the first thing I want us to to see is that we can grow in joy by remembering. We can remember. um, We're going to look at Psalm 103 more in depth here in a minute. But. One of the verses in that psalm um, says this. The psalmist is talking to his own soul, and he says to his soul, forget not his benefits. Forget not the Lord's benefits. Remembering is one of the most frequent commands of the scripture. Remember, remember, remember what the Lord has done. They would create monuments with these Ebenezer's. They would stack rocks in places that God had delivered them or had done the miraculous so that they wouldn't forget that the next generation would remember So much of the trouble that we find ourselves in as a human race is because we forget. Even in this pandemic, um, we forget what's happened in the Spanish flu. We're trying to to learn the lessons of past pandemics so that we don't forget we're able to move forward. So we're to remember. We grow in joy by remembering. Um, And that's not our natural proclivity. We as humans are kind of bent towards remembering and focusing on the negative. Um, You'll know this, right? If you get a uh, a compliment, if someone compliments you or encourages you, that generally doesn't cause you to lose sleep. It's nice. But what what causes you trouble? What what causes you angst within your soul? What causes you to lose sleep is when someone um, uh, harms you. When someone doesn't compliment you, but when someone actually criticizes you. We can hang on to that criticism. The criticism is what sticks in our mind. We think about that over and over and over again. Encouragements are great, but then they kind of flee. We don't, we don't, we don't lay in bed and think about that. It's the criticism that sticks with us, isn't it? Um, and sociologists know this. It's why negative politics works so well. Um, rarely do you see politicians anymore really spend most of their time talking about uh, the positives of their platform and their policies. Most of politics is mudslinging and trying to make your other uh, opponent look bad. Why? Because that negative um, coverage elates so much more emotion. It it, it actually uh, drives us to action more than positive things do. Sadly, um, our attitudes are far more influenced by downbeat kind of negative news than good news. And that's just our human nature, unfortunately. Um, That's why we probably need to be very careful and to... To curate your news sources, um, I would say probably watch a lot less news. Um, make sure your news feed, you know, isn't isn't uh, uh, playing to the worst of our of our human um, uh, nature. So we have to press through. Um, the psalmist says, "Do not forget uh, his benefits." This is what it means to abide with Jesus. We're actually remembering who he is and what he has done for us. Thanksgiving, gratitude is not passive, it's active. Um, And so what does it mean to practice gratitude this week for you? Practicing gratitude is how we access joy, not happiness um, that's surface level, but deep abiding sense of joy. So how will you practice gratitude this week? Let me encourage you just to do that in real practical ways, like journal that, take a list, and list out all the things that you're grateful for. I don't know about you, but it's been so easy to talk about all the things that we've lost, all the things that we've been restricted from doing, all the things that we're not allowed to, 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 to do during this time. Um, it's been, it takes effort, it, it, it takes intentionality to actually list all the things that I'm still grateful for, all the things that I'm thankful for. Maybe you have this conversation with your kids around the dinner table. Um, and go around and Hey, what are some of the things that you're thankful for? Even in the midst of this, in some ways, uh, the, the, the quarantine is, has, has taken some things away, but it's also been a gift. It's also given me more time with my family rather than the rush to get everybody to school and work in the morning. Most mornings I've been able to sit and have breakfast with my family. Um, we've had dinner together every single, every single night. Um, and, and that's been a real gift. And so there are some things that we've gained. So paying attention, what are the things that we're grateful for? Maybe break your list into two parts. Universal things that you're grateful for. What's this common grace that God has given to all of us? Uh, The Bible says that the the rain falls on both the good and the wicked. God in his common grace has given all of us um, universal things together to be grateful for. And then what are some things that are personal? What are some things that are unique to you? I'm grateful for my wife and my kids. Those are unique to me Um, for the circumstances that God has has uniquely put you in. Um, And some of those things might even be small things. They might seem like really simple things. Um, I enjoy uh, coffee. That's probably not a surprise uh, to, to most of you. And all the coffee shops have been closed but uh, uh, this last week one of my favorite coffee shops reopened for, for just click and click can't go and sit down can't sit down with you and have coffee can't wait till we do that again but yesterday i had a flat white for the first time in six weeks a coffee drink that i can't make at home and um, i just was so grateful and, and it's just coffee not the most important thing by any stretch of, of the imagination during this time and yet something small that I can be grateful for um, and grateful to God for um, that he would create a plant that produce these beans. And if you grind them up and roast it and add water, it delivers this delicious drink. Um, so forget not his benefits. Second thing we can do to grow, grow and enjoy is have the right perspective. Again, this is connected, um, but having the right perspective, we can sow in times of crisis lose perspective uh, uh we can focus so much on our, on our own selves we become inward uh we can only focus on on some of the negative things and it's important for us to carry a right perspective um, we think of, of the story of even peter um, jesus is in the middle of a storm uh, the disciples are on a boat jesus isn't with them on the boat and then all of a sudden in the middle of this raging storm jesus comes up here and walking on the water they think he's a ghost and he calls out and it's me. And, and Peter says, if it's really you, let me come out to you. And so Jesus says, come on out." And Peter gets out of the boat. And here's Peter walking on water in the middle of a raging storm. Jesus, he's participating in a miracle at this very moment, right? You don't get much more communion with Christ than, than being in the middle of a miracle with him in that moment. And then his perspective shifts and change. Rather than focusing on Jesus, rather than focusing on the power, his sovereignty, this the person who can calm the storm with his with his own will um, starts to lose perspective. He starts focusing on the waves and the storm and, and the darkness and, and all of these things, and he begins to sink. His perspective was taken off of Christ. And in the midst of that, he starts to, to panic, he starts to drown. And this is so, uh, so true, isn't it? Our discontentment, if we carry around a perspective of discontentment, so often that leads us into frustration. I know when I'm most frustrated, when I'm most easily angered, um, it's because I'm, I'm usually discontent with something. Something didn't go the way that I expected it to go. Uh, or there's uncertainty and, 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 and my discontentment with not knowing everything about the future um, leads me into being easily frustrated, easily frustrated with other people. But having a grateful perspective rushes us into joy, a deep abiding sense of, no matter what the storm is going on around me, um, no matter what my circumstances are, no matter what my uncertainty is, the the uh, attitude of gratitude allows me to access a deeper sense of joy. And when we carry a dis, a, a discontented perspective, It's so much easier um, to to rush into frustration. Um, What if the key to joy now isn't an answer to getting what we want? What if the key to your joy now isn't an answer to what you want next, but it's a renewed perspective on being thankful for what we have now? I don't know about you, but I'm such a future-oriented person. I'm always thinking about what's next. Um, I, I, my natural um, bent isn't just to be in the moment. I'm always thinking about what's next. And, um, and often that can lead me to frustration. It can often lead me to a place of not being grateful for what I actually have now. What if the key to joy now isn't an answer to what we get next? During this pandemic, what's next? Nobody knows to some degree. Um, your your plans for the next few months are, are are probably like mine, all up in the air. There's no degree of certainty in which we can all act. Maybe that's a gift right now. Maybe that's a, a way that we actually access our joy to have that removed from us, to renew our perspective, to be thankful for what I actually have now in this moment. It's why we often um, start our prayers as a, as a church gathered. We're, we're meeting uh, twice a week at the moment, um, on Monday nights and Thursday mornings uh, on Zoom to pray. And often in those guided times, we begin with prayers of adoration, prayers of thanksgiving, reorienting ourselves to to who God is and to what he has done so that when we do come to petition, um, those petitions are are rightly ordered. Um, We've referenced Philippians 4 a few times, but let me read Philippians 4, chapter 4 to us beginning in, in, in 4. This is Paul talking about rejoicing. His command, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So he's wanting to reiterate this to you. It's not a passing comment. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, let me say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is present. The Lord is near. His presence is among us. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's, it's incredible. Do you see the progression? Be joy, Be joyful in everything. That doesn't mean be happy about everything. You can be sorrowful. You can be grieving. We can be lamenting, as we've seen. And yet, in the midst of even lament and grief and loss, we can be joyful. Rejoice always in the Lord. And he says, don't be anxious. The opposite of that then is to abide, press in. Let your let your request be made known to the Lord. Let him know how you're feeling. But what does he say is the key in the midst of that? We do that with thanksgiving. We do that by remembering. So we grow by remembering. We grow in joy with the right perspective. And then lastly, we grow in joy by worship. This is where I want to go to Psalm 103 uh, that we mentioned already. Uh, the psalmist, as he does often, uh, is preaching to himself. He's reminding his own self, his own soul of, of, of recalibrating it uh, to think in the right way. Um, so many reasons why we feel the wrong way is because we think the wrong way. We need to fill our mind and our soul with truth and allow our emotions to catch up with that. And this is what the psalmist is doing. Psalm 103. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul all that's within me bless his holy name who's he preaching to himself his own soul hey soul bless the lord with all that i have bless the lord oh my soul and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is your youth is renewed like the eagles do you see what he's doing there He's remembering who God is. He's he's getting a right perspective again, and it overflows into worship. Worship, he's recalling all of who God is, all of what God has done. It's so easy, isn't it, to be robbed by joy because we don't have a right perspective. We're not abiding with Christ. We're abiding in our circumstances. We're abiding in our trouble. Uh, we're just abiding with our, with our, with our own self. Um, I, I kind of had to re, i snap myself out of this as the psalmist does this last week. I just got so tired of thinking about my own circumstances, my own, uh, what does my future hold? All this sort of, uh, sort of stuff. I just thought, you know what? I just need to spend a day thinking about other people. Uh, my wife baked some cookies, put together a couple little like baskets of goodies and delivered them to, to some folks, just dropped them on the doorstep. I just got tired of being in my own head. I just had to think about other people. I had to recalibrate this. And this is exactly what the psalmist does. Listen to, listen to his, his uh, reminding himself of who God is and how that could be the antidote to despair. Because this is what we're talking about. Joy in a time of despair. So many times we find ourselves in despair, right? We think I've messed this up way too much. My circumstances are the way they are. I've just messed things up too much. But what does he say? No, he says, The Lord who forgives all your iniquity, all of our sin. There's nothing that you could have messed up too much that the Lord can't forgive, that the Lord can't enter into. We might feel like, Listen, my body is so broken down and sick. I'm getting older, fighting cancer, whatever it may be. And what does he say? He heals all your diseases. God is a God who can heal all of our diseases. It's important to remember that in a pandemic because, one, he might, he, 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 in his common grace, he's healing many people through medicine, um, hopefully through a vaccine. But even if we don't, because there's lots of other diseases besides COVID-19 at the minute, cancer, lots of things people die from. Even if he doesn't heal our disease in this life, he offers us total healing in the next A renewed earth with glorified bodies where there is no death, there is no disease, where he wipes away every tear. All of that is guaranteed to us who are in Christ. Maybe you think, listen, I'm alone in this. A lot of isolation, a lot of despair. Uh, We feel like we're, you know, a pit of despair is how we, we often describe that. But listen to the psalmist. He redeems your life from the pit. Jesus reaches into whatever pit we find ourselves in, he redeems us, he purchases. us, he pulls us out of that. And he sets our feet on a rock. We might think I'm not good enough. Um, We think often that pleasing God is about performing a certain way, but it's not. Jesus has performed all that we need. He has given us his righteousness in exchange for our unrighteous life. What does he says? He says he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Or we think, I don't have enough. We're looking to that next thing to satisfy us. But the psalmist says, it. he says, no, he satisfies you with good. He renews you. It's at his right hand, his pleasure forevermore. He satisfies our soul. It's important that we remember this morning that God is for your joy. I don't know how you think about God. Maybe you think about God as someone who's up there judging us all the time, looking for you to step out of line. God is for your joy. He actually commands us to be joyful people. Christians should be the most joy-filled people. That doesn't mean we walk around with a naivety, kind of happy, clappy, everything's grand and fine when it's not. No, Christians should also be the most realistic people. We're able to look sorrow and death right in the face, death right in the face, and still have joy in the midst of it. Because we know that death doesn't have the final say. That Jesus has overcome death. Through His resurrection, this is why uh, I often, when I'm leading our communal prayers, will end it uh, the same way, right? We pray our prayers of prayer, uh, prayers of adoration, of worship, of petition, asking the Lord to intervene, and then we I, I often end it with this phrase: "For Your glory and for our joy." Why? Because that's those things are bound up together. John 15: The Father is glorified when we produce fruit and as we produce fruit we're connected to the vine of Christ and in that he gives us his joy a joy that cannot be taken away a joy to the full so how do we abide in that way well i think the key to it is a key of of praise of worship of adoration for who god is and thanksgiving for what he has done and at the center of what he has done is the gospel the good news of jesus taking away our sin Um, paying the penalty for that on the cross, uh, being buried, but, but going through death, beating death, coming out the other side, the resurrection, proof of his death being sufficient to cover our sins, and now invites us into the life of the Trinity with him. In the same love that the Father has for the Son, the Son has for us, and he produces that through the Holy Spirit. We get to be united with him. Worship reorients our soul over our circumstances. It reorients our spiritual truths over our earthly um, concerns. It's not that our circumstances and earthly concerns aren't important or or that they aren't valid. It's just abiding with Christ reorients those in a way that provides peace. His presence gives us peace, as we've seen. Um, John 15, we experience the love of Christ, even in isolation. And here we find this deep abiding sense of joy that he gives us as he reorients, reorients our soul around spiritual truths over our physical circumstances. That's the kind of joy that's available to you this morning. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never repented of, of, of our, our living apart from uh, God, uh, 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 repenting of our sin, that's the first step into entering into being connected to the vine. Um, Jesus in John 15, those branches that are apart from the vine, they get thrown out. Being connected to the vine of Christ is where we find our love, our joy, our, our deep abiding sense of joy and peace in our life. For those of you that are uh, in Christ this morning, maybe this is a pruning season. Maybe this is a, a cutting away. Um, I, I've had to realize that that cutting away Um, I kind of have a choice in that. I can look at all of the loss and focus on the things that that have been cut away, the things that, that I don't have anymore, the things that I've been restricted from. And I can really focus on those things and mourn that. And I become really inward. I become really centered on myself. Or I can look to the Father. This is a season of pruning. He is cutting some things away, but it's for my good. Why? That I can produce more fruit. I can be more fruitful. I can experience more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I can experience more peace. I can experience more joy, a deep abiding sense of joy, regardless of the circumstances, feeling um, desperate around us, the uncertainty. This is the joy that we get to carry with us. And it's a joy that we get to offer to other folks as we get to offer them Jesus as well. So my prayer for us uh, is uh, that for this week, that we would stop, that we would take stock, that we would worship and praise God for who he is, that we would remember, that we would reorient our perspective, and that would lead us to a place of worship and abiding with Jesus, Um, that we would hear his still small voice, that we would be able to hear the work that the Spirit wants to do in us in this season of pruning, the season of reorienting. What are the things that I need to focus more on? I need to remember more on? I need to be more thankful for um, that we would hear what the Spirit would have to say to us during this time. That's my prayer for, for me personally, for you individually, and for us collectively as a church as well. Um, and let's pray into that. Um, let's be attentive to what the Spirit might be doing. Let's not forget uh, the, his benefits among us. Let me pray.